The text for the sermon this day is taken from the reading from Revelation and 1 John. You may be seated. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you are like me, you might be thinking, thank goodness October is over. Because October was just kind of a little bit of a rough month. For me, it started out with me slipping in the shower and getting a nice little contusion on my ribs and my hand. Then one morning I woke up and I found that this part of, not these glasses, these are brand new, but on the old glasses, this fell off and I could not find a screw. Then it had my, the hard drive on my computer crashing. Then I had uh, my nose randomly just start bleeding right before um, one of the committal services at one of our funerals. And then at the end of the month, I got a nice little cold that just doesn't want to go away yet. So the one word that kept, but the thing is, that was just little stuff, I know, but as I went through the month and I looked at some of what's going on in many lives, many of you have also had a rough October. Whether it be hospitalizations, surgeries, inconveniences, and then of course the harsh reality of the many funerals that we had this month. In our congregation alone, we had five members die in the month of October. And the one word that kept going through my mind through that month was broken. That is what this world is, broken. Our lives are filled with brokenness, filled with the consequence of a fallen world. Because the reality is, is that God did not create the world this way. If you read in Genesis chapter 1, after six days of creation, God looked at everything that he created, and behold, it was what? Very good. But it's not very good anymore. It's broken. We are filled with sickness, filled with tribulations, filled with death. The con this is a consequence of what our first parents, Adam and Eve, brought upon this world. They were told not to partake of that fruit, the fruit in the tree in the midst of the garden. But when the serpent gave them the words of temptation, telling them that they would be like God, they partook of it. And the first to feel the consequence of their sin was not really them. Yes, they're cast out of the garden, but they were not the first to die. The first to die was Abel, their son. And they saw Abel, they, they experienced Cain murdering Abel. And so they saw the consequence of their sin. The sin that we carry to this day. Now, it might be easy for us to say, oh, well, you know, I'm just a helpless victim. 
I have no power over my sinfulness. But we know that's not true. We know that nobody has to twist our arms in order to get us to commit many of the sins that we commit. Nobody has to twist our arms to lie. Nobody has to twist our arms to let us to scheme and come up with ways to get things that are not ours. When we are driving down the highway and it says 55 miles per hour and nobody has to twist our arms to convince us to go 65. And yes, because, yes, that is actually a sin because we are to obey our government and no, you will not find anywhere in the Bible that will convince you, convince me that a speed limit is immoral. Sorry, it's not in there. So in other words, that nobody has to twist our arm to do any of those things. We do it willingly. We are all willing in our sinful nature. We are part of the reason why this world is broken, why this world is dying, while, why we are dying. And yet, what do we ex think about this? So God created this world very good. And we have caused this world to be broken and fallen to pieces. What would you expect God to do with us? What do you do when people break your stuff? Do you usually go, oh, no big deal. Usually we, we get angry. We get frustrated. We're like, that was mine. How dare you break it? We should expect the fullness of God's anger and his wrath. But look at what 1 John 3 says. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Not what you expect. He calls us children. In the, God, in the book of Galatians, Paul says that on account of our baptism, we are made sons and therefore heirs of the Heavenly Father. You realize how awesome that is? I mean, think about this. If, I told, if you found out one day that you are an heir to Bill Gates or whoever, he's not actually the richest person in the world anymore. I think it's actually the CEO of Amazon is now. But if imagine one day you find out you are an heir of the wealthiest person on the, in the world. And when they pass from this world, everything they have is yours. Wouldn't that be pretty awesome? Your future would be pretty well set. But here we are reading that we are heirs of God. We are heirs of the kingdom. In spite of our sin. In spite of what we have done to this world. Out of grace and mercy. Our God declares us to be 
his children. Declares us to be his heirs. And he claimed us as such in the waters of baptism. As you just heard the choir sing. Children of the heavenly father. That is what we are. United to Christ. But the thing is, as we are children, we still walk through the tribulations of this world. We still walk through the trials of this world. This, this, during this time in November, we are, fought, we are beginning our stewardship campaign. And the first week is about discipleship. And the verse, the key verse, is Jesus telling his disciples that if you wish to come at, if you wish to be my, my disciple, you must pick up your cross and follow me. Now the disciples knew exactly what that meant. We don't see many people carrying crosses in our day and age. But in the time of Jesus, they knew exactly what that meant. It meant that they had to carry a 125-pound piece of wood on their back. And they would have to carry it, just to think, be, carry it just kind of equivalent distance. It'd be like carrying it from here all the way up to the high school. And you can't cut through any yards. You have to go completely by the streets. 125 pounds uphill and everything. And the thing is, is you wouldn't guess what you get aware? Nothing. You went naked. And you had to carry it, and you weren't just like on our street, if you were to carry it, there might be one or two people. There, there would be thousands of people mocking and jeering at you. And yet you'd carry it, and that very piece of wood that you are carrying you would be nailed to, and you would slowly suffer and die. So when Jesus said that you might, to be my disciple, you must pick up your cross, he is saying that you must be willing to humiliate yourself and even face death for the sake of the gospel. See, the thing is, is that being a child of God in this world does not guarantee that these tribulations and trials will pass. They continue. The devil is always trying to find ways to bring down God's children. To bring them into his kingdom. To bring them into his kingdom below. That is what the devil seeks. And the, more, the bolder you are in your faith, the more you talk about Jesus, the more you will face hostility. That is what it means to be a disciple. But we preach it nonetheless. We face tribulations nonetheless. Because as children of God, when you are baptized, the pastor, for many baptisms, the pastor gives a robe of white. He says, receive this garment of white. 
It's a foretaste. Or even you see this robe that I'm wearing. Or at the funerals that we've had, you've seen a funeral, a white funeral pall over the casket. All of it is as a reminder of what we see in Revelation 7. These are the ones coming out to the great tribulation. Who are the ones coming out of the great tribulation? What is the great tribulation? This is the great tribulation. Life is the great tribulation. And so who are the ones in Revelation 7? When you read that passage, the ones who are robed in white, who first received that robe in baptism, who verified it at their confirmation, that is people like Ron Nielsen, Darlene Boyson, Josie Hampton, Dwayne Bubke, John Holst, all who died in this last month. They, and the names that you're going to hear, they are that host arrayed in white, with thousand snow-clad mountains bright, as that old hymn says. In fact, we're going to sing it during communion. Right before communion, we're going to sing a different hymn. Normally we sing the Sanctus, but we're going to sing, Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence. And it's right after you hear, Therefore the angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. So those names that I just mentioned, they are amongst that company of heaven. We are joining with them in worship. We are joining them. We come here to this altar. And when you receive the body and blood of Jesus in, with, and under the bread and wine, you are united to Christ. But you are not united to Christ. You are, but you are also united to all those who have died in the faith. The communion of saints is full, that we confess in the creed is fully celebrated at this table. See, this is why we begin with let all more, we sing that hymn, let all mortal flesh keep silence. Because when you come here, this altar, this is where heaven and earth meets. This is where the, the triumphant, the church triumphant is gathered where Christ is. And we, the church militant, gather where Christ is and we are united through Christ. Longing for the day that our Lord, our Savior, the Lamb, who they stand before and they are worshiping where there is no hunger, where there is no thirst. One day that Lamb will walk through the cemeteries, through the graves, and He will say, wake up. Get up, and the bodies will rise physically strong, mighty. Till that day comes, till all tribulation ceases, and we live in the presence of the Lamb who was slain but is risen. To Him be all glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
the grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Amen. Please stand.